Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. Uh, my name is Joe Marchalina. I'm joined once again by Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing? Doing good tonight, Joe. How are you? I am hanging in there. Uh, I, I had a uh, little bit of a rough weekend, was under the weather. As, as I'm sure most of you noticed, there was no, uh, unfortunately, no football coverage on the site this weekend due to that. So uh, thankfully feeling a, a whole lot better. But uh, if you hear some, uh, so it sounds like someone's uh, hacking up along back here in the in the background. That uh, That's me holding the mic as far away from myself as I can while I... Uh, well, I, I, you know, I try not to do that. I don't guess. get the micro, don't yeah, get the don't, microphone yeah. sick. Okay. <laughs> no, that was, yeah. that was the first time in how many years you have not made a football game. You told me, but the listeners don't know. Uh, honestly, since, uh, since the weekend of my wedding, uh, late October of 2012. So 11 years. Yeah. It's been a while. So that yeah. had to be a little bit painful. Yeah. Yeah. A little, little bit, um, in more ways than one. Yeah. Uh, well, you can uh, you can send us your questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at at NHHSports. You can listen to the show Tuesday mornings throughout the football season at nh-highschoolsports.com. All right, Mike, uh, as we usually do, what we're ready to start off the show with... Uh, uh, keying on a couple of uh, top players and teams from around the state this past weekend. We each pick a player and a team of the week to highlight, uh, just to refresh everyone on how we do this, the players and the teams. Uh, we only pick pick them once a year, so um, as we try not try to get as many guys recognized as we can. Uh, so, so if it's all right with you, I'll, I'll do mine first this week. Yeah, absolutely. Go right ahead. Well, for my player of the week, uh, again, you know, I know you like to talk about a lot of times looking for guys, you know, that do more than just have stats. Uh, so I'm going with a guy this week who, uh, you know, didn't have a ton of stats, but maybe had the biggest stat of them all. Uh, that would be Nolan Ash from Sanborn, who uh, kicked a 29-yard field goal with about four minutes left to give Sanborn a 23-20 lead over John Stark that they ended up hanging on to, winning that game. Uh, huge win for Sanborn because it gives them, you know, Stark had, what, five wins going into that game, I believe. That gives uh, Sanborn a ton of points moving forward. And the way it, it's uh, it's shaping up, you know, in that uh, East Conference, uh, that they played Plymouth the last game of the regular season. Could be a game for first place in that conference. Uh, you know, at very worst, Sanborn, you know, looks like it's going to end up fourth and get to host a playoff game. So, uh, you know, that kick by Ash. He also made, uh, I believe, two extra points uh, earlier on. So uh, just a, a, you know, great moment for, for him and for the, the Indians as well. Yeah, you know, and, and, and it was we knew going in it was going to be a great game. Kind of a dogfight, right? Because if you think about the position that, John Stark and Sanborn were both in both really good, both good running teams, both strong defensive teams, you know, Stark had been averaging what, I mean, it had to be 42, 43 points right. in their, in their previous five wins. Right. So, um, and, and Sanborn maybe hadn't been quite that explosive, but, but had played really well. 
And I think you, I think the reason this we knew this game was going to be a dogfight and an important one wasn't just the playoff point of it, but it was knowing that Sanborn was going in to play a very tough Plymouth team final week of the season. And very similarly, John Stark knew, knows they're going in to play Sauhegan last game of the season uh, for them. So, not a lot of uh, margin for error. Right stretch, so yeah, a must-win game for. Uh, well, not, maybe not must-win, but um, would like to win game for for both teams. Correct. Who did you end up going with for your uh, player of the week? So my player of the week, uh, I, I I couldn't resist um, going with a stat guy this week, but you know, again, kind of like when I was talking about JJ Bright the other week, saying you know sometimes the stats are. The, the, the stats really do say, hey, I made a difference. <laughs> um, and in this one, there could be no denying it. And that was Ryder Aubin, uh, quarterback for Dover. So I, I think just an amazing game, right? Um, they beat Timberlane 42-28. Again, another big game, right? Um, but what a performance. 11 of 16 for almost 200 yards, four passing touchdowns. But then you also add to that that he ran the ball 13 times for 120 yards and had an interception on defense. So a, a complete game. So he plays quarterback. He's throwing it. He's running it. He's scoring with his arm. He he has a takeaway. He's making tackles on defense. We haven't talked a lot about Dover this year. It was a big win for them and a, a huge performance by their their top guy, I think. And if I remember correctly, I'm, I'm going back through uh, some things here. That was a game where they, like, they were up – maybe a couple scores and then Timberlane gets a couple scores. Yeah, it was, it was 21, seven Timberlane came back and made it 21, 28, 21 late era, or excuse me, right before halftime. Um, you know, so, you know, so they had to Dover had to go into the half and, and regroup and they did. Yeah. Uh, and loaded. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that was a huge win for them. Like you said, coming off of a, uh, a loss last week, uh, you know, and really a group of a couple teams that uh, that we'll talk about later that in Division One that I felt um, actually um, one of those teams I, I was going to go with as my uh, my team of the week, uh, and that is the uh, the Bishop Girton Cardinals. Yeah, who went you know coming off a a big loss against Pinkerton, uh, they went on the road to Keene. Um, you know, a place that uh, can be, you know, a nightmare for I think for visiting teams. Uh, just weird things seem to happen out there sometimes. Uh, Keene had been playing some really good football. They had been maybe one of the hottest teams, you know, uh, in Division One of late. Yep. Certainly a, a team that looks like it's on its way to the playoffs. They take the opening kickoff. They go down and score. And uh, BG answers with um, 34 straight points and ends up winning that game 34-14 to 14 to kind of um, give themselves a boost in terms of trying to get a home playoff game in uh, Division One this year. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. We've talked a little bit about, about Keene being an outlier in that division in, in terms of, like, their philosophy, right, their approach to offense. That That whole division is pretty much you know, spread teams, right. They'll go four wide, you know, Bedford uses a tight end a little bit cause they have a really good one. 
Um, but for the most part, you get a lot of like shotgun spread offenses and keen is like a full house two tight end, you know, smash the ball down your throat type of team. And so it was interesting thinking about that game this weekend. I, I was really curious to see what would play out because sometimes when you're that different from the team you're going into play, it's really hard to prepare. Right, you know, so, yeah. so for example, if I'm, if you're BG and you're trying to get ready for a game against Keen, you've been preparing for spread teams week in and week out, you know, more or less, right. You might see a wing T team, like a Pinkerton or, or something like that. But you know, when you play in that, that conference, that's what you're seeing a lot of. And then all of a sudden you've got to simulate something very different with your scout team and your and you have to game plan against something very different. And and the same goes for Keen trying to prepare for BG, right? You have a team that's built around power and running and things like that. And you have to try to simulate what BG does in order to get some practice time and put a game plan in and stuff. And so I, w- I remember thinking to myself, geez, it will be interesting to see how that one plays out. And I actually kind of put, and, and I, and I picked Keen um, because I said, I think it'll be harder for BG to simulate that, but it sounds to me like it was, it was probably Keen's inability to stop BG's really potent passing game at the end of the day that, you know, that was the difference there. Um, Cause they just, like you said, they just exploded on offense with what 34 unanswered. Yeah. Um, 34. I don't know if unanswered, no, not an- unanswered, uh, but, but 34 in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it sounds like um, you know when it when Keen tried to take away one thing, BG went to something else, and then when Keen tried to take away that, they went to another thing in the passing game. So yeah, just uh, you know, able to make the adjustments in game that they needed to to keep rolling like that. Yeah. Who did you uh, who did you take as your uh, your team of the week? So I took. Uh, I'm going with the Spalding Red Raiders. Um, 49-29 victory over Memorial this weekend. Um, they had two, you know, they're a strong running team. We know we've talked about Hunter Truman on the show before. He went for 114 yards and two carries, uh, two touchdowns on 10 carries. And they had Seth Cortina go for 100 yards on 15 carries and three touchdowns. So two backs over 100 yards kind of helps um, helps get that victory in the can for Spalding. But I think more importantly, what I was looking at on this one is that it's, you know, after a, a rough 0-3 start, playing really good football teams, though. They started out with Portsmouth, Oyster River, then Exeter, then Dover. Spalding's ripped off three wins in a row, uh, convincing wins in a row, and have set the table for themselves pretty nicely to, uh, to, to be in position to take a playoff spot. So I think it was a huge win for them, probably a must win for them. In a, in a sense, yeah. Um, if they're if they're going to be a playoff team this year, I would you would think so. Um, you know, they they uh, finish out the year uh, month of October with Central and Memorial, who they already got wins with, and then have South and Winniconic coming up. So uh, winnable games, but but probably yeah, you're right. I think must wins. You know, if you're going to get into uh, a playoff spot. Um, yeah, you know, which for them would be the second year in a row, too. Yes, yeah, which they haven't done in decades. Yeah, I, I, I would assume, yeah, yeah, and and the win again. I think that win too. Uh, the, the other reason I picked them is I, I think that win against Memorial even more important with South looming, because even though South has struggled this year, South coming off uh, a somewhat surprising win, fifteen fourteen over Merrimack, so 
you're going in and facing a South team now that's gotten a little taste of success, had a big win over a local rival team. Um, you can't take that for granted now if you're Spalding going into that game. So you you absolutely needed to secure this win for Memorial if you were if you had any plans of moving forward. And that that final game against Winnicott, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a, a Seacoast rivalry game there. Yeah. Um, you know, the, those teams, I'm sure there's nothing they'd like to do more to each other if they, you know, if they're um, not making the playoffs themselves, it's knocking each other out of the playoffs. That would absolutely, yeah, you know, when yeah. it will be that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's start with uh, some other talk about uh, around Division One, and and really, I think the game that a lot of a lot of people were keeping an eye on last week was the uh, the matchup between Exeter and Londonderry uh, in Londonderry. Um, you know, both teams battling for kind of those uh, those top spots after the conference winners. So, of course, with the with the format as it is in Division One, with thirteen teams in the playoffs, uh, the top team from each of the three conferences gets uh, the top three seeds and a first round bye that comes along with it. So then, your team seeded uh, four to thirteen then play in that opening round uh and londonary exeter you know kind of have been in that uh four five six seven spot you know the last couple weeks um and um you know this week kind of i think you know would and it did go a long way to determining where they're going to finish up londonary gets a very convincing 35 7 win um you know, I was was able to watch a little bit of that on uh, on Friday Night Lights. Um, you know, as that game was going on, and the thing that just got me was just how much Londonderry was able to dictate things up front. Um, you know, the the opening uh, sequence of the game, they just they pinned Exeter back. You know, didn't let them out of their own end, got the ball back, and then Jen just went, you know, right down the field on them. Um, and it, and it was, it, it was the kind of game, like when you saw that to start the game, you just kind of felt like it was going to be a long night for Exeter. Yeah. Y- yeah. You know, I, it, it, it doesn't surprise me and as, as much respect, and it's a tremendous amount of respect because I've, I've coached against them. I've actually played against Bill Ball coach teams. <laughs> um, um, and I've, I've certainly coached against a number of them in my coaching career, but it does. It, it actually didn't surprise me that much because, and, and I'll tell you why. Because I watched Portsmouth Oyster River play Exeter last week, and I know we talked about that game on the show last week. And I was telling you, in fact, I think I actually said how much Portsmouth's defensive front reminded me of Londonderry's defensive front in terms of just how how big and strong and fast their defensive line is, and how well their linebackers pursue and take angles. It really reminded me of having seen Londonderry against Pinkerton earlier this year and some of the other times that I've seen Londonderry. So it it really didn't surprise me. I mean, I, maybe I didn't expect 35 to nothing, but it, it didn't surprise me that Londonderry would have a really strong defensive performance against Exeter because I, I really do view Portsmouth Oyster River and Londonderry's defensive fronts as being, you know, right up there with Bedford as, as three of the best in New Hampshire right now. I mean, they're 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 built very similarly. They play fast. Um, and they're really keyed on a on a very strong defensive line unit. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
two similar defensive fronts, two very similar offensive results in terms of Exeter going up against them. You know, they they scored six points against Portsmouth uh, last week. Yeah, I think those were kind of late, though, in the game, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Uh, then shut out, which is almost unheard of, right? right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, the the thing that, you know, drew my attention, you know, about this, uh, looking at, you know, at at the, uh, the, the scoring breakdown, once again, you know, we, we talked about this last week with that Londonderry North game, just the number of, of guys that get to touch the ball in that offense, uh, and then the number of guys who are handling the score, you know, scoring in that. And then you look at this, you have a, you know, touchdown pass from Connor Williams to Jaden Navarro. You have a touchdown run by Jake Shenna. You have a touchdown run from the quarterback who on this time, particular time was Cam Brutus. Right. You have another touchdown run from Caden Malik. Then you have a touchdown run from uh, Adrian Cruz. And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now that, that, that to a couple of those guys from the game that I covered last week, I don't particularly remember their names because they maybe didn't touch <laughs> right. the ball in that game. Right. Um, just the, the, the number of guys that are contributing, I can't remember ever seeing anything like that. And, and honestly... I don't. I if you had told me that that a team could be as good as Londonderry has been this year doing that, I don't know if I'd believed it, because it just it. I feel like it lends to not having that consistency. But I mean, these guys right. work together so much, um, you know, in the off season in the summer, that you know maybe that that's just when they build it. They they are so familiar with playing each other for you know, different through different parts of the year on their own that they just know what they what it doesn't really matter who's where. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen anything like it either. I mean, the closest analogy that I could come up with, and you'll have to check me on this because I don't remember the year, but w- when was that Winnicott championship season? That last one? Oh, um, was it 17? 20, yeah, 2017. Okay. Uh, yeah, so if you remember that season, Winnicott had you know, like five, six, seven running backs that were all contributing in that offense. But it wasn't it wasn't just mixing the guys in. It was because they got an injury pug really bad. And we were amazed week to week. I remember you and I saying, oh, they lost this guy, but this other guy stepped up. And what did he do? He had 123 yards on 15 carries and two touchdowns, right? Like we've never heard of him before. How, how do they have this depth? So it was a little bit of a different circumstance. Whereas right. I think that year they just had a great deep bench and obviously probably a pretty good offensive line that guys could be successful behind, but they were doing it because they were having some attrition. You know, here they're just mixing dudes in. It's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely, I mean, they had, yeah, you're right that um, I, I'm now, I'm now I'm not sure if it was that team or one of the, the more recent ones, uh, but either, either way, uh, you're right. They, they had a team that was, they ended up with like six or seven guys that could carry the ball. Yeah. Uh, but that was because they needed that. Um, uh, you know, Londonderry's got it because they have it. Right. Right. They're just, they're just doing it right yeah. to get guys in and showcase the different skills that they have and stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's too bad. You can only have, uh, you know, you can only have 11 on the field at once. But... Yeah, and only, and only <laughs> yeah. five, five of them that can, or excuse me, six only... of them that can touch the ball. Right. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I, uh, we mentioned, though, that, that those, you know, you mentioned Exeter playing Portsmouth last week, and, and we talked about Londonderry uh, beating North. You know, and those were kind of uh, also mentioned Dover and BG. Uh, you know, those three teams, uh, along with Exeter, ones that we, you know, we saw lose a week ago against those top, those other four top teams. Um, you know, but then you look at this week and all three of those, you know, outside of Exeter playing Londonderry, the three other teams, you know, really bounce back and look like, you know, maybe the teams that we expect them to be moving forward. Uh, you know, North got a win uh, at Goffstown uh, last week. Um, should have put the score in front of my face before I started talking about it, but, you know, maybe someday I'll learn. Uh, uh, it was 33-8. Yeah. You know, as I said, BG goes out to Keenan, gets that win. Dover gets the the win over over Timberlane. Um, you know, so so kind of, uh, I guess, good to see those teams bounce back, kind of put themselves back in, you know, good position to kind of uh, move forward and uh, and and you know, again, potentially host playoff games as we get into uh, that first round. Yeah, it, it you know there, it. Looking at it, it, there's a lot of these teams that are going to end up. You know, we were talking a little bit before we came on, and we we rolled our eyes at the ridiculousness of the question of asking, you know, how many of these teams might end up having the best chance to be undefeated. And we we're like, oh, I don't know if we want to touch that one. <laughs> but the other thing that's kind of like, there's going to be. It looks to me, Joe, like there there's a chance for a lot of these teams to end up kind of like on the six and three you know, end of things. Right, I, I mean, right. you know, maybe not taking into account the the crossover games or the out of state games or whatever you want to call them. But, you know, I, I you know, I haven't done the math on it or, or probably know half as much about it as you would, but it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how division one shakes out. If there's a, if there's a whole, you know, package of, of six and three teams, right. Then your, your ratings and all that kind of right. stuff. Come well, I mean, it all, yeah, it all depends on, on, on who you've played and who you've beaten. Right. Uh, and, and with the, the schedules so different, I mean, yeah, it, it, it really, that's, there may not be as many, uh, ties and tiebreakers needed as you would think. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just looking over it real quick, looking at the West, I mean, North, North plagues keen this week, you know, so another huge, yeah, huge game for both teams. Um, you know, and that's North's last in division game. So that's going to be the difference between them either being, um, what, four and four or five and three yep. in, in the division. Um, you know, Keene still has Memorial coming up to end the season. You know, so, I th- yeah, but they, they've still got a shot at that five and three uh, mark. You know, as does BG sitting at, at, at three and three right now with Goffstown and South still to go. Uh, on their their uh, their schedule, um, you know, Dover finishes at Concord and at Exeter. Uh, two interesting games, I would think. Although Concord's had a, a rough go of it lately, uh, but they yeah. they're um, they're actually a game that um, actually looking at that one. That game against Exeter um, could be huge. Uh, for you know seeding because they're they're actually both sitting at four and two right now in the division. 
Yeah. And that's another one of those old seacoast rivalries that goes all the way back to, you know, the early 2000s, old Division Two days, right? Right. Um, Exeter and Dover. And then you kind of, you, you still have, um, you know, the team team we haven't talked about much the last couple of weeks. You still have Salem sitting it there, up there at 6-0. and Right. Um, you know, and now you know they they, uh, they get a big win over Central last Thursday, and uh, you know now now we learn everything we're going to learn about Salem. I think with uh, with Pinkerton and then Londonderry coming up to end the season, right? Yeah, uh, I mean Salem's only loss was an out of state game against Wachusett a couple weeks ago, um, and they had been winning pretty convincingly up till then. I mean, they had a close game against Keene to open the season, but yeah, now you're facing really like what we were talking about last week, right? Like probably two easily two of the best teams in New Hampshire now, right in a row. Um, but still, I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't know Joe as much as you do. I don't know what that does to Salem. If they, if they stumble these last two weeks of the season against really great opponents like Pinkerton and Londonderry, doesn't necessarily rule them out. Oh, you mean out of the playoffs? Absolutely not. Right. Right. Um, I think the biggest thing, you know, they've been sitting. I want to say in that uh, that number four spot for a while. Um, you know, and in particular the the game against Londonderry. You know, because if you, you know, if you figure that that Salem does drop this game against Pinkerton coming up, they're sitting at six and one. Uh, Londonderry has got. Uh, you know, Alvern on Friday, and uh, you know, let's say they they win that one as well. So, you know, so both teams are six and one going into that game. Um, basically, then that game is for uh, that number four seed in in, right. in the playoffs. Uh, but I mean, it's not like the loser's going to drop to like twelfth. Uh, you right, know, the, right. The loser's going to probably end up being fifth or sixth and ending up hosting a a playoff game as well. Right. Yeah, and you got to figure the the points that Salem would have gotten from that Keen win. Um, they beat Wyndham, which is worth some points. They beat Alvern, which is certainly worth some points. So they've they've had some good quality wins too. Right. <clears throat> yeah. That the the teams that have um, been able to get a win over Alvern have, have been, um, you know, that's been turning out good for them. The Broncos have been pretty good the last couple of weeks getting. Uh, wins over Concord and Winnicott. Uh, like I said, they've got Londonderry coming up this week, and they play Gosstown. But yep. they're they're another one that, that is looking like, um, like a playoff team for sure. I don't know any uh, any other thoughts on uh, Division One from this uh, this past week. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think you know the conversation now at this this time of year turns to this type of stuff, right? It's, you know, in the, in the beginning of the year, we're trying to figure things out and, you know, learning a little bit in the middle of the year, we were always talking about, okay, now we're starting to see things develop and, you know, patterns are starting to come around where you start to say, Oh, you know, this team has beaten these couple teams who lost to those couple teams. You start to, you know, that, that shape starts to take place in terms of, okay, I think we understand what's going on now. And now at the end of the season, it, it's all this kind of conversation, right? It's what are the potential matchups and what are the big games that are going to determine seeding or if you're out. So I think, 
I, I just think that that's what makes this race so much fun, especially the way that it's been this year, where there's a lot of really good depth um, on the, you know, in terms of division one um, being filled with, with contender type teams. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's, it, it's going to make these last couple of weeks really interesting to see how things play out. I agree. Uh, yeah. And, and with so many teams getting in it, it just, um, I think, I don't know. I, well, we saw last year how interesting things got <laughs> Yeah, with, with Bedford, yeah. Bedford going Bedford. On, on a run. Right. So, yeah, you know, I, I got to admit, I don't know if I've said this before on the show, but I think privately, secretly, when, when you told me about what the division one format was going to be prior to going into last year, I was thinking to myself in my head, all right, that's kind of soft. <laughs> you know? I, I think I think everybody was had a negative. Everybody I talked to, let's say, had a negative response to what was going to happen with with this. Yeah, like I'm rem- I'm going back to when I coached, right? It was like four teams, you know. That's it. That's right. all they yeah. got in. Oh, like yeah. the rest of you can go pack it up. And so, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, that's soft. But but I don't know, man. I thought last year was awesome. I really did. I, I like. You know, you like to use the cliche of calling the playoffs the, you know, it's like the second season, you know, and anything can happen and all this other kind of stuff. And then it's four games and you're like, I mean, it's it's four teams make it. It's two games. It's like, all right, not really. But last year, Division One, that that this format really lended itself to some awesome football, um, really intense stuff. So I, I don't know, man, I, I kind of like it. I mean, we'll see how this year plays out. Um, I, I think it, yeah, I definitely think that last year it worked out better than uh, could have been expected. Yeah, it worked out better than than it had in a long time. I think. Yeah. So you know, ho- hopefully we see the same kind of show this year. But yeah, but that's no, that's really all I wanted to say was <laughs> I, I'm really looking forward to these last couple of weeks because I think they're you know we've highlighted them, but I think there's a couple of really important matchups coming up. Absolutely. Uh, so. The, I guess the, there's no avoiding this uh, coming up, but in Division Two, we've probably got the game that everybody's had circled on their calendars for, uh, I don't know, months and months and months, maybe since a year ago, or, you know, once you found out what, you know, what the schedule was going to look like. Uh, that would be Friday night's Division Two uh, West Conference matchup between Sauhegan and Pelham. Yep. Rematch of last year's championship game won by Pelham. Uh, this year, they'll be playing in the regular season at Pelham uh, on a night that last I looked is going to be something borderline of miserable yeah. uh, in terms of weather. Uh, you know, go figure that the the one weekend I miss out on is the nicest weekend we have, right? Right. Well, and you know, it's funny that you say that, Joe, because I think to the uninitiated, you'd very quickly say, oh, well, that would that would work in Pelham's favor because you think of Pelham as sort of that that wing tee with a lot of kind of unbalanced sure. looks and things like that. And, you know, really their strength is up front. Well, their strength is everywhere, but they're, they're very strong up front offensively and defensively. And you'd say, oh, Sauhegan, they like to throw the ball around and a you know, screen game and all that stuff. But you know what, with, with JJ bright in the backfield and what they did against Hanover a couple weeks ago on the ground, 
uh, I'm not so sure that you could make that same claim anymore that that the inclement weather would benefit Pelham over Sauhegan because Sauhegan obviously, I mean, we all knew that Bright was going to be a good player. The question was, could they consistently move the ball on the ground in terms of, you know, the rest of the offense being able to to clear holes for him and things like that. And uh, I think that question has been more than answered. Sauhegan has a devastating ground game when they want to unleash it. Um, just like Pelham does. So now, see, that's not where I thought you were going when you were you started to bring that up. Oh, where did you think I was going to go? I thought you were going to go a week ahead of that when Sauhegan played Plymouth in a driving rainstorm, right? And still tossed the ball around the yard like it was, you know, sixty and sunny. Yeah, uh, that's a good point because because it also demonstrates. Oh, and by the way, if they want to throw in the bad in the bad weather, they can still do that too. <laughs> right. Um, although I I don't know, something tells me uh, that might be a little tougher to do on Pelham's field. Um, yeah. You know here you know the the forecast for Friday night uh, in Pelham fifty four cloudy with periods of rain, chance of rain eighty percent, rainfall near a quarter of an inch. Mm. That that sounds like a wet night to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, it is the beginning of the week. Uh, plenty of time for that to change between, um, you know, now and, and, and kickoff. Uh, but uh, I guess if you are uh, preparing to go out there, bring um, bring an umbrella and uh, and maybe more. Yeah, uh, it, it's what an interesting matchup, too, when you look at the results that these teams have had through the year, right? I mean, Pelham just gave up its first points last week at Milford. They, they've given up seven points the entire season. Uh, and then you look at Sauhegan, who's averaging, I don't know, somewhere in the high 40s for, score, for, for points per game scored. Now, Sauhegan's defense has given up a little bit more than that, but you, you, know, you look at them playing Division I Timberlane, um, they played Plymouth, who who only scored six points on them, but still, that's it's Plymouth, right? I mean, right, that's right. significant. So, I don't know. I just I just think it's there's 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 so many stories involved in this one between the rematch, the weather, the the defenses, the points that the offenses have been putting up. Um, probably game of the week type stuff right here. Oh, game of the like I said, it's it's this game of the year here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, and it's really like, I, I, the matchups are what are, like you said, they're just, they're very similar to what they were a year ago. I know Pelham, you know, lost, uh, uh, you know, some key guys from those championship teams the last couple of years to graduation and, and Sauhegan obviously lost a couple guys, but you know, they, they look like the same outfits from a year ago. Hundred uh, percent. They're both both teams are built almost identically. I mean, obviously, there's little nuances, like you said, but both teams are just like on paper built almost identically to what they were last year. Yeah. So I'm uh, I I'd be hard pressed to tell you who's uh, who's got the upper hand, especially you know given what the forecast is, but given how we've seen you know one of those teams, you, the team you'd think it'd affect the most, handle it. So right. Um. That's why uh, that's why we save our predictions for the non-talking portion of the the website. <laughs> right, the exactly. <laughs> uh, 
stay out of trouble right yeah yeah (laughs) um you know we were we were talking about uh just now um you know Sauhegan's uh win over Plymouth earlier this year and you know, despite that uh, hiccup, Plymouth has been just rolling teams on the other side of the division in the East Conference. That uh, 35-6 win over Kennett last week gets them to 6-1, and one, you know, puts them on top or, or keeps them on top uh, of the East with uh, with two really key games coming up here. Uh, St. Thomas and, uh, this coming week on the road and then hosting Sanborn to finish out the season like we we were mentioning earlier, um, you know, and that game has the potential, I guess, to to be for that that spot and maybe even the the, the excuse me the the top of the conference and maybe even the number two seed, uh, you know. But but certainly not a an easy way to finish for Plymouth, but a, a great way to to bounce back over a couple of weeks here. Yeah, and and you know St. Thomas has been quietly very successful this season at sitting at what are they five and two? Um, right, with, five you know, and one, two. One loss to Pelham, and and you know kind of an interesting loss to Kennett four weeks ago. Um, you know when you look at sort of common opponents and stuff, you 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 know at that time you might have picked St. Thomas to beat Kennett, um, which obviously didn't happen, but. Um, like kind of an underrated St. Thomas team that Plymouth's going into play. And then they've got to finish with Sanborn who just had a huge win over a very good John Stark team. Um, so Plymouth has some work cut out for them. You know, if, when you look at these schedules that are left of the big players in division two, um, they, they, they probably have the most important road ahead, most likely. Right. Or you could at least make that argument. Yeah, the, the and then the Sanborn game uh, coming off that win. I mean, that's just. Um, I mean, I I guess one of those you you really hope you know, you got to try to bottle up that momentum, right? Kind of carry that over. You know, yeah. I, I think it was. Um, you know, the kind of uh, they had to come back a little bit in that one too. That that Stark got out to an early lead. You know, and Sanborn had to. Um, you know, had to find its way back into it. Uh, before taking a uh, a fourteen six lead at halftime, um, you know, and then like we said, uh, Nolan Ash getting the uh, the field goal uh, late in the game to give them the twenty three twenty lead. Uh, yeah, just that's that's got to be probably one of their bigger wins. And then um, you know, John Stark, uh, even though it's not showing up on their schedule, they've got an interesting game coming up this week against uh south burlington vermont coming to town right right um that's um yeah that that i mean i'm curious to he, uh hear what happens in that one yeah i know stark had gone to camp with uh south burlington this year and i think they performed pretty well um so that they'll be familiar with each other right they kind of went to camp together and you know you've you've been up to robin hood to see Goffstown and Sauhegan and Milford. So you know what that experience is like. Um, So I think that's another reason. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's always fun, right? So I think that's another reason why that's kind of a cool out-of-state game is that they, you know, they're familiar with each other from that. Um, But yeah, you know, just to put another point on that Stark-Sanborn game, you know, it, it reminded me a lot of how Stark opened the season against Milford, but obviously Stark was able to pull out 
the win in week one against Milford in, a, in what was kind of a very similar game uh, in terms of coming down to the very end and even the point differential, right? right? But this time it was sort of Sanborn who was able to pull it out. But I think I think what that does for Stark is it it, it kind of bookends their season thus far with these with with two really good tightly contested games, right? And so how well the team matures emotionally around that. Um, you can't underestimate that, right? And I'm not saying that going into that last game against Bowhegan, you know, that I would say Stark would be have the upper hand or anything. I'm just saying if if that game can be kept close, um, especially if they're able to to get some momentum with against South Burlington here, you know, being in those close games, win or lose, really helps mature a team um, and, and kind of is invaluable experience, right? So you could look at a lot of those Stark scores and say, well, they rolled a lot of teams up. Well, yeah, they did, but they also had those two really tough te- tough games to kind of fall back on in terms of mental toughness and things like that. So, um, you know, could set them up really nicely going into that last game of the season. Right, right. I don't know, anything else to, to mention about uh, Division Two? No, no, I think we covered it. All right. Oh, uh, you know, one game uh, I want to keep an eye on, too, this week. Uh, you've also got uh, Hollis Brookline hosting Manchester West in uh, in there, you know, on Friday night as well. So that's uh, someone's going to get their uh, their first win of the year in that game. So uh, that'll be a big night for, for one of those programs. I know, um, you know, West has been doing a lot of uh, great things over there trying to get things headed in that right in the right direction so that's uh one to keep an eye on as well i think yeah thanks for mentioning that joe i actually i've heard nothing but good about uh the 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 coaches at west and the things that they're trying to do and and the pride that they're trying to bring and 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 obviously i have um some affection for hollis brookline having coached there back in the you know 2008 through 2012 time frame um, and, and we had some really good seasons when I was there. So I'd love to love to see them have the success that, that those guys over there deserve as well. So right. not really sure who I could root for in that one, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, th- thanks. I think that's a good mention. All right. Well, uh, division three, uh, you know, you, it just on, on paper, it, you kind of look at it and say, okay, things went a little according to plan last week, you know, Campbell still, Sitting at the top of the uh, the division there at uh, at at what now, I believe eight and zero thanks to the to their Kearsarge uh, win uh, or forfeit win there, but then you look at the scoring and um, I'm not entirely sure what happened, but uh, Conval was able to put 21 points up on Campbell. Uh, yes. And I guess uh, this game was tied at 14 going into the half before uh, Campbell was able to get a 36-21 to 21 win. You know, I mentioned the, the 21 points because um, that's almost as much as Campbell's given up all year. Uh, they don't yeah, like, I was going to say that's yeah. that's 21 more points than Trinity scored against Campbell. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and Trinity is obviously elite in Division Three. Um, so I'm not sure. Um, I, I I don't know if Campbell was missing anybody, or um, you know, or maybe they just went into the game, took took 
Conval a little bit lightly, and you know they they got a surprise, I guess. You know, it's interesting that you asked that, Joe, because I was looking at some of the 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 stat highlights on um, New Hampshire Football Report, which, as we know, is our friend Roger Brown's site. Right. And they had listed one. Campbell had one player listed as a helmet sticker recipient, and that was Nick Hirschberger, um, who they primarily were highlighting him for for having 13 tackles, but also that he had rushed for 35 yards and two touchdowns. Scott Hirschberger, who's his brother, who I believe is a junior this twin year, twin brother, yeah, twin brother, right? Um, is really kind of their their primary running back, right? I mean, he really took control in that championship game against Trinity last year. And well, I mean, he, he took control in every game he played in last year, but he is not listed. So I wonder whether, and I'm just speculating now, but I wonder if Scott Hirschberger was not available in that game. Actually, now that I've uh, done a little more digging here, as you know, one would expect a uh, astute journalist to do, uh, yep. maybe do some homework before starting the podcast show. Uh, it looks like he rolled an ankle in the first half uh, and, and did not uh, play in the second half, um, but had a touchdown uh, to in uh, yeah excuse me a touchdown in the first half. Um, in a you know report here from the Keen Sentinel, um, you know quoted to uh, Campbell coach Glenn Costello from saying as saying uh, you know that you can't give Convell. Uh, opportunities and we gave them a bunch yeah well yeah and and that's i want to make i want to make that absolutely clear uh I, I don't want it to come off as sounding like i'm saying oh well scott hershberger wasn't there so obviously you know the game was closer than it should have been because let's face it campbell scored i mean uh convell scored 21 points against campbell right so so i mean it, it wasn't just oh you know maybe Campbell wasn't as explosive or as, as grinding as they usually are without him. Conval was able to, to, to be very successful as, as, you know, as successful as anybody had been uh, all year against them uh, offensively. So, you know, it, it was, you know, I'm sure Conval was disappointed that they lost, but the fact of the matter is, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big feat to, to play a team as good as you and I both know Campbell is in, in what was a relatively close game. Right. And, and to have the season high points against for Campbell be inflicted on them by Conval, you know, what it does is it, it really does speak to the trajectory that I know we're both happy to see Conval on, you know, when you see teams that drop down and the point of dropping down is to rebuild the program and get back on track and get people excited about football again. That's the kind of thing you want to see. Absolutely. And, you know, I think they, they turn around um, this week and, you know, they're on the road again, but uh, they're at a Stevens team that, um, you know, has the same record as them, three and four. Yeah. Um, I think, I, you know, I, I think at this point they're both long shots to, to make the playoffs, but certainly whoever wins that game, you know, still does have a, a shot. Yep. Um, still a lot. He is still alive, but not, you know, not in great shape. Right. Um, you know, so they're they're going into the next next to last week of the season, you know, still with something to play for. Yeah. And for that, you know, again, for them to be able to say that after the struggles they had right. in, in the last couple of years, 
I, I think that's a huge success. You're, you're still playing meaningful games in the back half of October. And that's all you can ask for at this point when you're trying to rebuild a program. So the uh, the big game that, that took place in the division this week was uh, that uh, Interlakes Moltenboro's 21 nothing win over Fall Mountain. Uh, yes. Which, uh, you know, I think we talked about going in was, you know, the game to watch because of, of what it could do to the, the playoff positioning. And I, I think that one, you know, both teams five and two, uh, but, you know, f- five and two is not the same for everybody. Um, I think for Interlakes, that probably wraps up the, the play uh, third seed for them. Um, I, I would assume, you know, going going in at this point, they've got Kingswood and then Conval to wrap up the year. Um, you know, w- wouldn't be a surprise to see them at six to three, seven and two, um, and and certainly in that number three spot. F- Fall Mountain things get a little bit trickier. Yeah, because uh, they finish out the year at Trinity and then home to Campbell. Yep. Um, you know, they might pull off an upset in one of those games. You never know what could happen. Um, you know, especially given what they did a couple of years ago. If you remember, when they were still in Division Four and 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 knocked out, um, you know, the top seed. I think it was Newport uh, that yes. year. So certainly. Uh, Were you so at that game? I was not at that game, no. Okay, I, I remember you went for one really freezing cold game, and for some reason I thought maybe that was no, no, that was that was not not that game. Uh, you know, so I yeah, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't count out Fall Mountain for sure, but obviously a tough task at hand. Um, but that also kind of opens the door, like I said, for Stevens and Conval. But I think the team that's in the best shot maybe to overtake him is, is Manatnock, who has had a, a, a really strange season, I think, if you ask me. You know, they, they did get yes. that opening week win against Fall Mountain where they had to come back, tie the game late, and then win in overtime. You know, they get a, a narrow win over Stevens the following week, and then it was four losses in a row, one that they forfeited to Trinity because they didn't have enough healthy kids. Yeah, that was the staff infection the, week. The following week was to Conval. They, you know, they lose to Conval. But then this past week, they stopped their their losing streak, but with a forfeit win from Kearsarge. Right. So after an, another week off, they've got Epping Newmarket and Kingswood to finish out. Um, you know, I think if they win those two games and Fall Mountain ended up losing those two they might end up switching spots there. Yep. Okay, good. Yeah, there's... I, ex- I explained that very well. Yeah, no, I, I, I got it. It is confusing, though, right? And I, I think, But I think that's part of the fun is that, you know, I think we've seen years where things are pretty well locked down in Division Three, and it's, it's, you know, it's Campbell, it's Monadnock, it's Trinity, you know, and, and, and so, yeah, those teams are still in it, but I think having a little bit of, like you said, unpredictability for one of these spots is, is a good thing, right? Again, it, it, it means that there's some meaningful games yet to be played for some of these teams that are, that are building on, you know, having some hope for the playoffs, which they haven't had in years past, maybe. Right. Uh, well, if you you uh, you wanted unpredict or excuse me, not if you didn't want unpredictable, 
uh, I think the place for you is Division Four. Yeah, uh, because everything remains the same uh, in Division Four this week. Um, you know, it it, it uh, you you've got what Newport is the one seed, Summersworth is the two seed, Raymond three, and uh, you know Franklin, despite coming a lo- off a loss. Um, they're they're looking like they're going to be the four seed in the playoffs right now. Going to actually come down, I th- I would think, to uh, a huge game to end the year. Their division four, of course, is on a bye week uh, this week, with the exception of Newfound and Summersworth, who moved their uh, opening game of the year back to this game this week here. So they'll be playing this week. Uh, everybody else is off, but then next week you got Franklin and Bishop Brady playing. Uh, in what could potentially be a, uh, you know, um, a play-in game for the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, which is great, I you know, great, by the way, for Franklin, um, you know, to be back in that spot, um, you know, after a couple of years, uh, a couple of rough years of, you know, n- no more than a win here and there. Uh, and, you know, numbers I know were, were down a little bit as well. So great to see them back uh, in this spot. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you if you knew when the last year that Franklin had had made the playoffs was. I want to say it was was that first year that they uh, they went back to four divisions. Um, and I can't remember off the top of my head what year that was. If that was twenty eighteen. Yeah, I was going to guess eighteen. Yeah, I believe they were they were in the playoffs that year. Yep. Uh, but again, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. But um, I don't know. Any uh, any final thoughts uh, before we wrap up for this week? Yeah, I did have one final thought. Oh, okay. I, I, I want to make sure, you know, we so you had mentioned um, checking the the news and seeing that um, Scott, Campbell Scott Hirschberger had rolled an ankle and had to come out of the game. Sure. I hope with all my heart that he's well and he's able to come back and play again this season. You know, I think you know, it was really tough when Concord's Eli Bahuma went down. Um, what was it? Week two or three. Um, Somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just, it's like we said, when he went down, it, it, it certainly hurts Concord as a team, but I think it hurts New Hampshire football as a community. When you lose one of these really, really great players, um, you know, you never want to see that happen to a kid. Um, but also I think, you know, even even your opponents, they don't want to see that either, right? Like good opponents that respect each other, you want the best that the other team has to deliver. So it it, it really does take away when one of these great great players gets hurt. And certainly, Hirschberger is is one of the state's best. Um, you know, we we saw that plenty last year. We've seen it this year multiple times. Um, I really hope the best for him and hope he's able to come back because, you know, we've already lost you know, a couple of really great players from the state this year. They're just fun to watch. They give, they give so much to New Hampshire football in general. Um, hope he's well. I hope he's well. As, as I do as well. Uh, yeah, definitely get back soon if you, if you can. Yep. All right. Well, I think that will, uh, that'll just about do it for this week. Uh, Mike, thanks again for joining me. Yep. Thank you, Joe. He is Mike Lockman. 
I am Joe Marchalina. Enjoy the games this week, and uh, we will talk to you next week.